So I'm a church kid, like grew up in the church. My parents, my dad was a pastor. My mom was a women's ministry leader. A lot of you guys are kind of in the same boat. A lot of you guys grew up in the church. Uh, A lot of you guys have been going here to Calvary Vista for a long time. You're church kids like me. I think it's easy for church kids to get apathetic and to lose identity and purpose to kind of forget who we really are. I don't know about you, but as a church kid myself, that happens often. See, the book of Acts is all about the early church after Jesus's death and resurrection. And it's all about them discovering their identity in Christ, discovering who they really are. This book of Acts, it's right after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's basically the healthiest we've ever seen the church in the world. And it only lasted for about 30 years until things started to split up and break up. Now we have tons of different denominations and factions and split offs. But for 30 beautiful years, the church was united together a hundred percent. And the results of what happened in Acts sparked basically a revolution all around the world where now every continent has the gospel on it. Every corner of the globe has Jesus preached. Acts is all about Jesus's continued mission, lived out through the mission of the gospel. And many of you in your Bibles, if you're looking at Acts, it says the Acts of the Apostles. I actually want to just like interject there and actually remind you guys, this is not the Acts of the Apostles. This is the Acts of Jesus through the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit. It's important for us to remember because we can't do anything without God's spirit moving in us. And that's not a limitation. It's not like we're held back. Like, oh, I could do so much if Jesus wasn't holding me back by his spirit. No, the reality is that Jesus is always with us and his spirit is constantly flowing through us. And through the spirit, Jesus wants to do through us great things in this world. The difference between us and other religions is one, we believe that our founder is still alive. And two, we're not a religion. Religion is man trying to earn his way to God. We actually preach not a religion, but we preach relationship. We preach that God loves you and there's nothing you can do to earn his love. You guys just studied the book of First John that was all about God's love for you. It was all about how God has this unconditional, uncontrollable love for you. I was listening to Scott preach a beautiful message the first week after I left. Uh, I was listening to the recording and just him talking about how much God loves us and there's nothing that we can do to earn that love. We don't preach religion, we preach relationship. If you accept God's love into your life, you'll be so overcome by his spirit that you won't be able to resist doing great things for God. Acts is continuing. That's one thing I want you guys to know about the book of Acts. It's not over. Like Acts goes on for, I think, 27 chapters, um, something like that. The book of Acts is still going on today. We're in it. The book of Acts is the story of the church. We're basically reading our origin story. That's what we're reading right now. Now, Sunday, we're going to look more into chapter one in depth, but tonight, I just want to focus on a few verses. Uh, On Wednesday night, I think we might be a little bit more low-key. Sunday morning, we'll go more in depth. So tonight, we're just focusing on what's called the ascension, where Jesus returns to heaven. So if you're with me, go to verse one of chapter one. This is Luke writing, the guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart to Jerusalem, but he said, wait until the promise of the father for which he said, you've heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We'll learn more about this on Sunday. Verse six, and he says, so when they had come together, they said, Lord, 
will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time or the season that the father has fixed for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all over the world. Verse nine, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Like Jesus is talking to them. And then he gets lifted up. They're like, hey, Jesus, tell us when the kingdom's coming. He's like, oh, it's not for you to know. And then the next thing you know, he's floating up on a cloud into heaven. Look at verse 10. Um, or verse nine, it says, he was lifted up on a cloud and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by wearing white robes. And they said, hey guys, why do you stand looking into heaven? the Jesus who was taken from you into heaven, he'll come back in the same way you saw him go. And that's where we end. So what does this mean? Well, this is called the ascension. And the ascension begins the mission of the disciples to spread the gospel, to bring the kingdom of heaven into the darkness of earth through the preaching of the gospel. And just imagine Jesus is lifted up into heaven and these angels appear and they're like, hey, what are you guys standing around for? Jesus left, but he's coming back in the same way he went on a cloud. Jesus is not, you know, like the first spaceman. Like he didn't float up with like David Bowie music in the background about star men. I, there's only probably about three of you that get that joke. What Jesus did was he went back to God's space. He went back to God's dimension, the heavenly realm. He's lifted up and the cloud obscures him. And the next thing you know, he's in a whole nother world. He's right back from where he came, the heavenly realm. When we look into the ascension of Jesus, it's really easier for us to like read the story and say, nice, you know, Jesus came, he saw, he floated back to heaven. What's next? But listen, we shouldn't skip over this part. There's so much for us to learn here. What was this moment about? On the surface level, it looks like it's just, you know, about Jesus going to heaven. In the same way, a lot of times that's how we view our story. Really simplistically as Christians, we think I'm a Christian. And one day, just like Jesus, I'll go to heaven. But by doing so, we're missing out on the significance of what ascension actually means. What does the word ascension mean? That's what it call, it's called in the book of Acts, ascension. There's two different definitions. One is just the literal definition of Jesus ascending to heaven, floating back up to heaven. But the ascension word that we can use for our own selves is basically the definition is advancing to the next level. It's moving forward. That's what Jesus was doing. He was advancing to where he came from. This moment is not just about Jesus going to heaven. This moment is about Jesus advancing his mission. It's about Jesus finishing what he started. In Daniel chapter seven, my beautiful wife took a Daniel class in Bible college. I wish I did. Daniel is a very mysterious book like Revelation. And there's lots of crazy prophecies in it. There's this one where Daniel, this is, you know, ages before Jesus is around. Like Daniel doesn't know who on earth Jesus is. He, he just knows that one day a Messiah is coming. This is what Daniel says in his vision in Daniel chapter seven. He says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. Now, you guys, if you're Bible students, you know that phrase. Son of man is usually a reference to Jesus. One like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Jesus being ascended, it brings us back to like this place. Jesus is caught up in the clouds. Just like in this vision, Daniel sees a vision of the Messiah being caught up into the clouds and brought before God and presented as the king of the universe, the king of everything. 
See, by Jesus going back to heaven, it wasn't Jesus just going home. It was Jesus taking his place on the throne over the entire universe as king. Jesus was becoming who he was always supposed to be. You see, before Jesus came down, Jesus sat on the throne of God with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity ruled everything. But Jesus left that throne and came down here to be a servant. He left his crown and came down to be a servant. So now we have Jesus. You guys know uh, in The Lion King, how many of you guys have seen The Lion King? You guys remember that epic scene where like, uh, Mowgli, <laughs> not Mowgli, um, Simba, he's walking up Pride Rock, you know, and his father's like, remember who you are. And he's, he's ascending Pride Rock to take his place as the rightful king. So now we see Jesus ascending back to take his rightful place. Now in the same way, Jesus calls his followers. Who's that? That's you guys, right? The church. Jesus calls his followers to rise up and take their place. Now, don't like, I'm not saying you're supposed to rise up and become king of the universe or queen of the universe. But what I am saying is Jesus has a part for you to play in this great story that he's telling. Listen, you were not made or designed to live a life focused on sin. You were made for much, much more. Have you ever looked in the mirror and been like, you know, like Ariel, like, oh man, I want more. Like I was made for something else. Like school is lame and I don't like life. And I just, like, you just feel in your bones like you're made for something more. Guess what? That feeling's true. You were made for something more. God has a purpose for your life. The Christian life should constantly be about ascending, moving forward, rising up to become who you already are. What do I mean by that? So when you got saved, when you gave your life to Jesus, the Bible says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Jesus sees you. How many of you guys have problems? Like how many of you guys have issues? Yeah, me, yeah, all of us, okay? You know what your issues are. I know what some of your issues are. Some of you guys have issues I don't even know about. I have issues you don't know about. Like we're all pretty terrible people, to be honest. Like we try really hard, but we're sinners. But when we became that new creation, that was Jesus starting the process of making us who he always intended for us to be. Let me ask you this. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as the old person before Jesus? Or do you see yourself as who God always intended you to be? Do you use these words for yourself? Do you say, when you look at yourself, do you think I'm lost? Or do you think I'm loved? Do you look at yourself and say, I'm fallen? Or do you look at yourself and say, I'm forgiven? Do you look at yourself and say, I'm, I'm ashamed? Or do you think I'm set free? I'm messed up or I'm made perfect in his eyes. The story of your life should not be about discovering yourself, but becoming who you already are in Christ. Rising up to be who he has made you to be. How many of you guys have ever heard the Phil Wickham song, uh, Ascension? I think from the album Ascension, possibly. It's really, really good, really good song. So I love that song. I was listening to that song as, as I was preparing for this message. And I love how the song starts. The lyric of the song, Phil's strumming his guitar really, really hard. It's like, ding, 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 ding. And then he's like, <laughs> that was really weird. Um, but he says, this is the start of something amazing. A moment where heaven touches earth. That's one, of, like, seriously, I feel like so many times we listen to songs and we're just like, that's a sick lyric, but we don't think about the theological, like, deep meanings of these songs. Phil says, this is the start of something amazing, a moment where heaven touches earth. Listen, the mission of Jesus is all about restoring things back to the way they were always meant to be. All throughout the Bible, we see moments where heaven and earth 
kind of do a little fist bump. You know what I mean? Heaven and earth touch. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, heaven and earth are together. God is with his people, but then they're ripped apart by sin. When Jesus came as a baby, that's, man, heaven coming down, touching upon earth on the cross. That's Jesus trying to pull heaven and earth back together. In the resurrection, when Jesus rises, that's the sun shining on the first morning of the new creation. But in this moment, like the disciples don't see it. They're like, Jesus, where are you? Where are you going? Why are you leaving us? But then they remember what Jesus told them. He says, I'm leaving you, yes. This is all the way back in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I'm leaving you, yes, in the physical sense, but I'm sending the helper, the Holy Spirit. And with the Spirit, you'll be able to do even greater things than when I was here in the flesh. Guys, listen. Every single one of us has the Spirit flowing through us. If you believe in the name of Jesus, he flows through you. His spirit is in you, equipping you to do the things that he's called you to do, to live the life that he's called you to live. I love in the song, Phil says, here in our hearts, Lord, we're waiting for something that's far beyond what we have seen or heard. That's the heart that we should have. Lord, we know that your spirit is here in our hearts and now we're patiently waiting for you to do miraculous things that happen in our lives, in our schools, in our families, in our communities. Things so amazing that we haven't even dreamed of them yet. Is that your anticipation? Do you think of the Lord in that way? Or are you just like, man, going through life, going to church, hope I get encouraged. Is that your only expectation of God that you'll show up on a Wednesday and that he'll encourage you and make you feel happy, make you feel warm and fuzzy inside? Or do you have an anticipation that God is real and he's alive and he wants to rock your community, your school, your family, your life. He wants to turn your world upside down. When we think of heaven, we normally think of us going up to heaven to live with God in his place. And that is what happens when we die. Like if we got ran over by a steamroller right now, like if, I don't know why that's what I thought of, but I was just thinking of like a a dumb way to die. Um, If we got ran over by a steamroller, like, yeah, we'd We'd be in that heavenly dimension with God and with Jesus. But listen, the ultimate promise is that God will come down to live with us on a new earth. The ultimate heaven will not be us with God, but God with us, us together with him. In Revelation 21.3, it says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. I'm so excited. Like, I look at this world and I feel like I can get an idea of what God was going for when he made it. Like, I, when I went to Ireland, I saw these things called the Cliffs of Mower, just these beautiful cliffs with like a castle on the edge and the roaring sea down below. And it's like, literally, if you slip, you're falling 500 feet to your death. But it's like awesome at the same time. Um, and it was just beautiful and, and glorious. And I was like, I was like looking at the world. And I'm like, this is a beautiful world God made. But man, we humans messed it up, didn't we? Like, turn on the news. Things are going downhill. Always, always bad news. Always stuff going on. Always us destroying the earth, fighting one another, hurting one another, killing one another, wars and violence and, and, and destruction. The, the world is full of horrible things that happen all the time. Just recently, we had earthquakes in Mexico that killed hundreds of people. We see this world and we see, man, God had a plan for it but it didn't go the way it was supposed to go. I, I think of heaven, this heavenly place, this new earth and new heaven. And I'm like, man, how wonderful would a world be 
without sin and without limitations. I'm so excited for that. Does the name uh, Reepicheep mean anything to you guys? Does anyone here have any, con- you know, you know Reepicheep? Yeah, okay, who is he? He's that mouse from Narnia. You got it. Okay. You nailed it. Some of you guys are like, you thought I was making up a name. You're like, Reepicheep. What is that? Okay. So in the Chronicles of Narnia, um, C.S. Lewis, he made this little mouse character named Reepicheep. He's a warrior mouse. He's got a sweet little like mouse mustache, like a twirly mouse mustache. And he runs around with a sword. And he is obsessed with finding Aslan's country. He's like, I've got to find Aslan's country. Just imagine, I hate mice. I just killed like six mice this week. Um, but just imagine you have a little mouse buddy who's your friend and he's got a sword and he's like, I can't, I've got to get to Aslan's country. Um, Aslan's country in the books, if you, guys, if you guys know what I'm talking about, the Chronicles of Narnia is bomb. You gotta read it. Um, in the books, there is a place that's even better than Narnia called Aslan's country. And it's better because there's no wicked witch there and Aslan is king. So Reepicheep spends his life, this little mouse, trying to discover Aslan's country. He's passionate. And in the book of the voyage of the Dawn Treader, this is a quote from Reepicheep. He's talking to the characters and he's talking about how he's trying to sail for Aslan's country. And he says this, "'Well, I can, I sail east in the Dawn Treader. "'When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle.'" When she sinks, I shall swim east with my forepaws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country, or if I have shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. Come on, so good, right? Anybody? No? (laughs) It's so good. This is like a little mouse. It's hilarious, but he's so passionate about finding Aslan's country. His main objective in life is pursuing the heavenlies. Remember that Evan song back in the day? Living for the heavenlies? That's what he's about. And it's, it's so good. Um, one of the main phrases that Reepicheep and the other uh, animals in Narnia, the other characters say, is they say this phrase, further up and further in. Everyone say that. Further up and further in. One more time. Further up, further in. What does that mean? You don't know. So here's what it means. They're on a quest to find Aslan's country, which is an analogy for heaven. And for them, their life is all about further up and further in. Keep moving upward towards the heavens. Keep moving forward. Keep progressing. Further up into Aslan's kingdom, further into the relationship with the king. And it's an understanding that the king is real and so is his kingdom. Like, Reepicheep doesn't long for Aslan's, like, ghostly realm of nothingness. He longs to be with the king forever in like a solid country with mountains and rivers and animals and plants and trees, a real place. Like he wants to go up and like run his hands through Aslan's mane. He believes that Aslan is real and he's going to a real tangible place. Is that how you think of heaven? Is heaven just like some weird cloud land in your mind? Or do you realize that we are going to a world that has been remade special for you and for me? a physical place where we will live with God in his kingdom. I am so excited. I never thought about this when I was a kid. I literally thought of heaven as like golden gates and streets and like clouds and babies and harps. And that's all I thought it was. If we want to be with Jesus, we should want to be where he lives. Hebrews eleven sixteen says this, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. The Chronicles of Narnia author, he says this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, anyone ever been there where you're like literally like, I have tried everything, every kind of thing I could like, 
like make myself happy with today and I'm still not happy. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. Like I'm sitting there watching my favorite movie and I've just finished like an entire carton of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And I'm like, I should be happy, but I'm not. My stomach just hurts. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. That's the reality. Further up and further in. That line is actually in Phil Wickham's song. I don't know if you realize that, but in the song, Phil, in the chorus, he says, further up, further in, just to be with you again. Let us start the ascension. It reminds me that God is always calling us to go further up towards his kingdom and further in to a relationship with him. Further up because he is lifting us up from our troubles, our fears, our anxieties, our sins, the things that pull us down into like the pit of our human nature. God calls us up from that darkness to travel closer to his face. And I love the line further in, to go further into God's plan. Is that your heart? God, bring me further into your plan. Pull me in. Not my plan, God. Not my future. Not my goals. But God, your plan. Guys, when we finally see heaven, when we get there and we see what God has been cooking all these years, everything's going to make sense. All of the hard things we've gone through, all of the struggles that we've been through, it's just going to be like, yes. Like every hard thing I went through in this life makes sense. I get it now. In the last book of Narnia, Uh, the last battle. The followers of Aslan are victorious in battle and they get on this boat and they're sailing towards Aslan's kingdom. And I love this quote from one of the passengers on the boat. He says this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all of my life, though I never knew it until now. Come further up, further in. It's an epic quote. Uh, the guy who said it was actually a unicorn. I decided to tell you that after the quote so that you didn't (laughs) discard the quote (laughs) because the unicorn said it. Uh, But it's an epic quote. In the same way, guys, we should live for the kingdom. So let me give you some practical ways that we can set in our mind to reach up and to pursue God, to ascend to a next level in our relationship. One is go after, if you're taking notes, go after, rise up into a deeper relationship with God, okay? That's like number one. Like just that should always be number one. Deeper relationship with God. Now listen, I can't give you a formula for what that looks like. Like I can't be like, hey, here are, I'm an expert on having a relationship with God. Here are 10 steps to you having a great relationship with God like me. You've gotta, you've gotta figure that out on your own what that looks like. And you can come to people like me and Scott and Aaron and Jess and Brooklyn and Amanda and be like, hey, can you guys help me figure out what this looks like? Go to Rebecca. Rebecca's amazing. She, she's, well, she was a counselor when I was a counselor or when I was a kid. She's got experience. Um, but you know what? You need to pursue God. You can't have a, re- a relationship with God where like someone is holding your hand through it. You've got to have your own relationship. Now, I know beyond a doubt that my wife loves me. Like beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that my wife loves me. She tells me all the time, super cute. Like you're not, like you guys who aren't married yet, to have your wife, just like you're sitting there on the couch watching TV and she just looks over and she's like, hey, I love you. It's just like, oh, it's the best thing in the world. She constantly takes care of me. I'm very absent-minded. I hardly ever know what I'm doing. My wife is always looking out for me. She moved across America for me, constantly helps me. She's always a servant to me and others. My wife is always going after the best for me. She went to Ireland for two months with me, crazy. I have no doubt in my mind that my wife 
loves me. And she doesn't do these things to pay me back for anything. She just plain loves me. Even though I'm like an idiot sometimes. Um, when we were in Belfast, that's up in Northern Ireland, we were like walking through the park, checking out statues, going to see the Titanic exhibit. There's like a actual, like, they, like the Titanic, they dug it back up after it sunk and like put, no, I'm just kidding. They didn't do that. It's gone. I, it's, it's sunk probably. I don't know. But it's this, it's this sweet exhibit that they made. So we were in the park and we were checking out these statues of like different people who worked on the Titanic. And then I saw these pigeons and my wife was sitting over there and I was like, I was like, Hey babe, get out your phone. Like get the story ready. I'm going to do something awesome. And like already, already she's like, this is going to be stupid, but I love you. So I will. So she gets out of phone and start taking pictures. I really wish she got a video, but she only got pictures. But basically I start running towards the pigeons and I'm like, I'm like, hey, pigeons, like running towards them with my hands outstretched because I'm trying to scare them. And I got a little too ahead of myself and I like literally went whoop and landed like and just mud all over my jeans and my nice jacket. And like all the people in Belfast are like, look at this stupid American. What, what's going on? Like, this is crazy. And I'm just like standing there with mud. And I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> it was a bummer. And sometimes after a stupid, after like a stupid moment like that, I'll turn to my wife and I'll be like, hey, do you still love me? <laughs> and she'll just roll her eyes and be like, yeah, you're stupid, but of course I love you. And it's an amazing kind of love. It's an unconditional love because I don't do anything to earn her love. I already have it. However, listen, catch this. However, because I have this love, I have a gigantic desire to do things for her, not to earn her love. But because I already have it, this beautiful love from this beautiful person, I am constantly trying to show her and express to her by my actions and words and my affections how much I truly love her. Her love fuels in me this desire to be a good husband. I have a surprise planned for her for her birthday on Friday, and uh, I'm hoping it's a good one. Well, she already knows there's a surprise coming. Um, time will tell if it's a good one, so... <laughs> I got her a lifetime subscription to Pop-Tarts. What? <laughs> Does that even exist? I don't know. Um, but listen, this is the relationship that God wants with you. One where you're not trying to earn his love, but one where you fully realize that you already have it despite all your failures and flaws. It's a relationship where you'll notice all of the beautiful things that God has done for you and is doing for you. And one where you're constantly doing things for him, not to earn his love. Listen, not to earn his love, but as a response to his love. Because you know he loves you. You're like, man, Jesus, I can't resist just serving you because I've experienced your love. That's the kind of relationship we all want. For those of you guys who are dating, for those of you guys who would like to date, for those of you guys who are like, I'm gonna die in a cave alone. That's what I thought. You'll be okay. Um, but listen, that's the kind of relationship we all want. We want one where we equally love one another and we serve one another and bless one another, not because it's some weird thing where we're trying to earn brownie points, because we truly love one another. Listen, so many of you guys are stuck in the mud of trying to earn God's approval and you feel like God hates you when you sin you, and you allow your sin to push you away from God. God wants you to rise up out of that mindset and instead rather travel further up and further into the kingdom and into your relationship with God. Now, here's the next thing I want to point out is something that we get from this text is go back and look at it. What do the angels say? What do the angels say to the disciples? Jesus floats up. What do the angels say? They say, hey, what are you guys doing standing around? Don't stand around. Don't just, what are you doing? There's work to be done. 
I love how the angels show up and basically say, guys, what are you doing? Why are you just staring up in the sun? Like you need your like eclipse glasses. You're gonna go blind. What are you doing? They're they're saying, stop acting like it's over. I can just see the disciples, you know, like, you know, James is like, oh man, guess it's back to the fishing boat for me. (laughs) Whole thing was fun, but now it's over. The angel's response is like, hey, no, it's not. It's just begun. Ernest Hemingway, the guy who wrote that book about that giant whale, said, He's not even a Christian, but he wrote this. It was a whale. Yeah, you know, the book about the giant whale. He says this, ascensions into heaven are like falling leaves, sad and happy all at the same time. Going away isn't really sad, especially when you're going enables a new kind of presence to be born. I, I love that. He's not even a Christian. He's just dropping truth. There's a world out there that needs to hear the good news and Jesus hasn't left us. He's right there next to us. He's in your heart. Now, I'm not saying that like in the cheesy Disney way of thinking. Like we need to kind of complete, like like when you think of Jesus in your heart, you need to completely separate yourself from like that weird, like Disney movie character thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like where like Stevie the magic dragon dies and like little Willie is like, Stevie. He's like, you know, stroking the dragon's face. Like, don't leave me. And the dragon's like, I'll always be in your heart, Willie. Like, I'm just making this up, but that's every movie ever. You know what I'm talking about? The carrot, someone always dies and they're like, I'll be with you in your heart, right? What does it mean when they say that in movies? Are they talking about ghosts? Are they talking about like someone shrinking down and living in your blood pumping vessel? Is it like the warm, fuzzy memories will live on your heart? What is it talking about? It's, it's stupid. When Jesus says this, that he's with you, he's not saying that his memory's with you. He's not saying that warm, fuzzy Jesus feelings are with you. He is saying that the living spirit of the living God is with you in your very being. He's saying that you carry inside of you, inside of who you are, not a force like the Jedi or an essence. You carry with you like the third person of the Trinity. You carry with you like the person of God, the spirit of God who was there when the world was created, hovering over the waters, the one who breathed life into the first man. When you're at school or home or at work or doing whatever you do, he is right there with you, not sitting on a cloud watching you through a telescope. He is with you. The angels are calling them to realize that reality. They're saying, Jesus is with you. He's given you a purpose. And The early disciples, their purpose is the same purpose as we have, to preach the gospel. That's our job, not to fight over who's president, not to debate on Facebook over social issues, not to sit around and complain about how bad the world has gotten. It's really funny. I don't know if you guys have been on social media lately, but it's been basically a nightmare. People just debating over everything, getting angry and chewing one another out about stuff. You know, it's really funny. I don't know if you guys are like this, but I know my generation and the generation above me, we're constantly arguing about how to fix the world's problems when Jesus already told us the only way to fix the world's problems is by spreading the gospel. It's only through repentance from sin and turning to Jesus that the hearts of the world will be changed and that people will change. When we sit around, we argue about how to fix the world. It's basically the equivalent of staring up in the sky when we've missed the one who floated into the sky and gave us a mission and something to do. Now think about the early church, okay? Imagine the challenge of the early Christians. You know, like imagine, imagine you lived with Jesus, you know? He's in your town, he's doing miracles. You're talking with him, you're walking with him. And then he says he's king and you follow him with everything you have and then he dies and you're heartbroken. You're like, this is the king. I dedicated my life to this guy. I put everything behind Jesus, 
but then he rises from the dead and your mind is blown. And he says, I'm going away now, but I'm coming back. Spread the good news that I'm king. Continue to follow me. So you're like, sweet, I can do this. But then the next morning, there's a knock on your door. It's the Roman soldiers. And they're saying, hey, if you get caught following Jesus, we're gonna burn you at the stake. Thank you, fire, for dramatic effect. And the crazy thing is, like, that's the way the early Christians lived. That was the world they lived in. And there was no battle plan. Jesus didn't teach them how to defeat the Romans. He didn't say like, all right, boys, when the Romans show up, make sure you build spears that are 10 feet long because the Romans are tall. I don't know. He didn't say that. What he said was love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not the greatest battle plan, but that's, that's what Jesus gave us. He said, spread the good news, even if it costs you your life. Now, how does it look for modern Christians? We've met the king. We've seen him work. You've been to camp. You've experienced God's power. You've seen God do miracles, some of you. You've, some of you guys have seen God heal people. Some of you guys have seen God restore broken relationships of people in your family. Some of you guys have seen God help you or your friend through depression and anxiety. Some of you have seen the purpose that Jesus gives you, the reason that you have to live. We've all seen Jesus do amazing things. But then we go to school or work and our friends or coworkers show up and they say, why are you living for that kingdom? Why do you go to church? Why do you care about purity in your life? Why do you obey your parents? Why don't you just do whatever you want? Guys, when we don't live for this kingdom, we become outcasts of this kingdom. And it's not as hard as being thrown to the lions, but still it's difficult to give your life to Jesus as a young person in 2017. Do you guys wanna know why the gospel exploded in the first century? In the early days of the church, do you know why the gospel exploded? Like, think about it. Think, really think about this for a second. These guys were being hunted down, burned at the stake, and like murdered by lions. Why did the church blow up and become this thing that now is all over the planet? Think about it. The reason is because they really believed what they were preaching. They really believed that Jesus was king. They really believed that Jesus rose from the dead. The early disciples had nothing to gain. There was no prosperity gospel back then, and there shouldn't be now, but there is. There's, there was no prosperity gospel back then. It, it wasn't like Peter and James and John were getting rich off of this thing. They, they were literally running for their lives. Death was their only reward, but to them it was worth it because they really believed that if Jesus is king, and like we've always said, if Jesus is king, that changes everything. They were willing to die physically for this belief. Now, this is gonna be some conviction and it's convicting for me to even say it, but listen to what I'm saying here. If the disciples were willing to die physically for their belief, but we aren't willing to die even socially for our belief, what does that say about us in 2017? And I'll leave you to pray about that for what that means for you. I think in any relationship, what we wanna try to rise to is knowing the other person more. In Phil's song, the chorus goes, let us start the ascension. Let's begin the climb up this holy mountain where your glory shines. Further up, further in, just to be with you again, let us start the ascension. Guys, when I say as Christians we should ascend, I'm not talking about floating away on clouds. I'm talking about moving into a deeper love relationship with Jesus moving further into our walk with God. It's not a chore. It's not like, you know, like, oh, sweet, I finished school. Now I get to advance to the next grade and have more homework. This is lame. 
it's, it's a progression of relationship. I constantly want to get to know my wife better. Like when I learn something new about Brooklyn, I'm like thrilled by it. Like when I, like I remember we were in Ireland. We're at the point now we've been married for seven years and you know, we've told each other a lot of our stories growing up. We, we, we've, you know, there's a lot of times where like, I'll start telling Brooklyn a story and she's like, oh, I already know that one. Or same thing, I'll, she'll do the same thing to me. I'll do the same thing to her. But I remember on the trip to Ireland, we were like sitting on the bus and she was telling me this story. And I was like, I've never heard that before. That's amazing, it was so exciting. When I experience something new with her, it deepens my bond with her. This trip to Ireland was such an amazing experience that I wouldn't trade for the world. It was hard at times, it was difficult, but it was so amazing. And I feel like we're so much closer now having gone through this experience. Guys, if, if, as a Christian, if you're not moving forward, you're gonna be backsliding. Here's a question for you, okay? What are you doing right now to get to know Jesus better? This isn't like a guilt trip thing. Listen, please listen. This isn't like a religious, legalistic guilt trip question. This is a very standard relationship question. Like if any of you guys came to me and said you were dating a girl in this youth group or not, I would be like, all right, what are you doing to get to know her better? If your response was just like, yeah, checking her out, high five, bro, I wouldn't high five you back. I'd be like, dude, what do you know about her? Oh no, she's hot. Dude, what do you know about her? What is she like? What are her passions? If your response is just her passions being hot, I'd be like, dude, you're stupid. It's not a real passion. You can't build a relationship on hotness. Everyone gets old at some time. You're either gonna end up wrinkly, fat, or dead. One of those three. Or all three, yes. <laughs> when someone comes to me and says they're in a relationship, I want to see that relationship succeed. So I'm gonna ask questions like, dude, what are you doing to get to know her better? What are you doing to deepen the relationship? That's my question for all of you guys when it comes to Jesus and myself for that matter. What are we doing to get to know him more? Like Emily saying tonight. And I'd ask you tonight, what does your personal relationship with Jesus look like? And very quickly, I'd say, what does your communal relationship with Jesus look like? Because I think often we focus too much on the personal relationship and we ignore the community aspect. When I was in Ireland, Brooklyn put it, or God put it on uh, me and Brooklyn's heart to start an Instagram discipleship group. So we put about six guys and six girls from the group in that Instagram group. And it was so rad because the whole point was one, we wanted guys and girls together in the group because we feel like a lot of times in youth group, it's like we're so gender segregated. So it's like guys have their small group and girls have their small group. And like the guys and the girls never get to see like the spiritual nature of one another. So Brooklyn and I were like, let's put guys and girls in this group and get them talking about Jesus every day. And it, it ended up being great. I was learning so much from some of you guys posting in that group. I was so encouraged. And I confess I've been terrible about posting that group lately. I've been a failure with that. But regardless, I'm extremely proud of the students involved because they've been chasing after that idea of community and walking with Jesus together. I'll, I'll talk more about this in later studies, but tonight I just want to touch on it. Here's another thought to think of as we wrap up. We're called as Christians to rise, to ascend above culture. As Christians, we're called to a whole new way of being human, to rise above the wickedness of our common humanity. What's a big way we can do this? Let's just like name the elephant in the room. What's the thing that we're on all day? Maybe some of you guys are even on right now. Social media. I'm just gonna say it. I'm just gonna say that social media has revealed the true wickedness of our human hearts. 
It's revealed for one, our neediness. We post because we crave attention. And don't tell me you don't, we all do it. I remember when you guys were in junior high, posting things like, oh, like my picture for a TBH, comment when you're done, rate my photo, like my status, and I'll tell you what I think of you, comment on my post, and I'll send you a direct message about how special you are. <laughs> like, really? It was like three or four years ago that this was going on, but I feel like all of us traveled back to kindergarten. Um, now we've got apps like there's one called like Sarah or something where you set up a page dedicated to people giving you anonymous compliments. And that's, and that's normal in the nineties. Think about it in the nineties. If that conversation happened, Hey man, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just setting up a webpage where people can give me anonymous compliments and I'm going to invite all my friends to come post on it. It's going to be great. I wouldn't be like, sweet dude. I'd be like, this guy's a problem. Uh, in 2017, it's, we're obsessed. It's narcissism. And, and listen, I'm right there with you. I post something and I'm like, I want people to like on that and comment on it. I am the same way. In 2017, narcissism is the norm and it's weird if you don't do it. Nowadays, we see people desperate for attention, posting pictures of their wealth. Look at how wealthy I am. Look at every, all the stuff I'm doing, all the places I'm going. I just went to Ireland. I posted a ton of pictures. Um, we post our possessions. We, we post things of sexual nature, even pictures of ourselves in a sexual way. We even see today a rise in people posting things or commenting in ways that are offensive just for the sake of being offensive. It's called trolling. And I think it's something that Christians should never participate in. Like we are called to spread the gospel, not troll people. What are we doing? Like just being insulting just to get a rise out of people. The more offensive you are, the more likes you get. Listen, I love me. Sometimes I just sit around and I just scroll through memes and laugh and laugh and laugh. But let's be honest, some of those memes are horrible. They showcase the worst of humanity, cruel, heartless, perverted, prideful. So what's the answer? Just delete Instagram? Well, you know, for some of you guys, maybe if you're addicted and if Instagram or any kind of social media is opening the door to sin in your life, Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He didn't say literally, because if he did, we'd all be having eye patches. Um, but he was talking about if something in your life is causing you to sin, remove it from your life. For those of us who can handle social media, but still feel the call into like the dark side of those things, what is the answer? It's rise above. That's the answer. Use social media for good not for evil. Use it to spread the gospel. Use it to encourage people. Use it to bless people. Use it to share. There's nothing wrong. Like there's nothing wrong about going on a trip and posting pictures of your trip. There's nothing wrong about taking a picture of a sunset. But the question is always, what are your motives? Do I want people to envy me? Do I want people to be jealous of me? Do I want people to check me out? Are those your motives? Or are you sharing something about God's beauty? Rise above think before you post, think about how it could bless people or hurt people, think before you like, think this thing that I'm liking, is it hurtful? Is it part of the sexual brokenness of the culture? Does it go against what Jesus taught us? If so, then just don't take any part in it. Don't like it, don't comment, don't repost, scroll and move on. When, when I was a kid, there was a lot of legalism. Listen, some of you guys might be right now thinking, Aaron, you're such a legalist. I haven't told you not to do anything specifically. I've just said, Use judgment, use the Holy Spirit. When I was a kid, there was a lot of legalism. I had a friend who wasn't allowed to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I've told you this a million times, but the theme song had the line, turtles in a half shell, turtle power. And their mom was like, no power, but the power of Christ in my home, satanic turtles. Listen, listen. I think we're, we're all millennials here for the most part. I think for most of us, you know, I'm an older millennial. You guys are like the last of the millennials, okay? Before this new, I don't even know what the new generation is. I'm scared of them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 
Um, yeah, we're gonna, when we're like in our 40s, we're all gonna be complaining about those guys. But um, listen, for us, the millennials, okay, I think the problem for, this is, this is true, I was thinking about this the other day. I think the problem with our generation is we got so sick of legalism, so sick of parents and teachers from the 90s telling us, you know, and teachers at our Christian school saying, you can't watch this, you can't listen to this, you can't do this, you can't wear this. And for many of us, myself included at times, we ran so far away from legalism that we tripped and fell into libertinism. What does that mean? Libertinism is a way of thinking that says, as long as what I'm doing is personal and doesn't hurt anyone, it's fine for me to do and I can do whatever I want. I'm not gonna spend too much time on this, but I just want you guys to consider it, okay? This is just friendly from me to you. Just take it or leave it, okay? We can apply this to all sorts of things, okay? God has not called us to be libertines. He's called us to live in liberty, but not to be people who just say, I do whatever I want. We have to constantly run everything we do through the filter of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about, I mean, you could, you could really fill this in the blank with any kind of media, but let's just talk about music for a second. I love music of all kinds. Like Christian music has gotten a lot better since the days of DC Talk. God is doing a new thing. Um, <laughs> you know, he's doing it. Um, I love all kinds of music though, except country. Country is satanic. I'll fight you if you disagree. Um, but listen, I love all kinds of music, even music created by non-Christians. Absolutely. Music is art. Art is rad. God made art. I have no problem with it. However, I can't deny that the content of some music goes against everything that I stand for as a follower of Jesus. And I feel like music is one of those ones where like it slips in really easy. Like maybe you would never watch a show with like a sex scene, but maybe like you would definitely listen to music that's just all about broken sexuality. And I was listening or I was watching a YouTube video from a Christian rapper who was talking about this issue. And he was saying how as a Christian, you know, sometimes we'll just listen to like whatever we want, whatever, as long as it sounds good, we'll be like, yeah, we like it. Even if the message goes against everything that we stand for as Christians. So he gave this great analogy that I thought was golden. He was like, okay, imagine you're married and you're driving with your wife, okay? Or girls, your husband, yeah. But imagine, you know, you're driving with your wife and suddenly you're like, your favorite song comes on the radio and the name of your favorite song is I Cheated on My Wife. And you just turn it up and start blasting it. And you're sitting there next to your wife, blasting this song about how awesome it is to cheat on your wife. Literally, the chorus is like, I cheated on my wife and I liked it. Like, it's just like, do you think your wife would be stoked? Do you think she'd be sitting there like singing the song with you and like bopping with you? No, she'd be like, why do you like this song? Like, why is this your favorite song? Why do you like this song so much? Listen, no, listen. In the same way, Jesus is constantly with us. He's always with us through the Spirit. He's in the car listening to the music we listen to. He's on the couch watching the shows that we watch. He's next to us as we scroll through our phones late at night. If we know for a fact that he is with us, and if we know for a fact that we would not listen to a song called, I Cheated on My Wife with Our Wife Sitting Next to Us, why do we listen and watch and engage in things that go against everything Jesus did for us? The reality is when we do this, when I do this, and I do at times, the reality is, is when we do this, we don't really care about how much it hurts him. And I can't tell you like what you should or shouldn't be watching. I can't tell you what you should and shouldn't be listening to. I don't have a list of like, what are the good songs? What are the bad songs? But you have the spirit of God inside you. 
So my advice is take the influences in your life, the music, film, shows, internet stuff, friends, set those things before the Lord and just say, Lord, if any of this is against you, if any of this causes me to stumble, if any of this hurts my relationship with you, reveal it to me and give me the strength to let it go. And then just respond to what he says. It'll be a good thing. When I was writing this part of the message, I was going for a walk and I almost walked into a spider web with like a giant spider and I just had a flashback to that memory. Anyway, moving on. I think we need to rise above our fear and anxiety. And I think I'll end with this. I believe Jesus wants you to rise above your fears and anxieties. So many Christians are held back. I feel like I was paralyzed in high school and junior high because I was constantly afraid that I wasn't saved. Seriously, I would sin and I'd be like, oh, I'm not saved. Like, I, uh, I'm going to hell now. If that's you, if you're constantly like, I don't know if I'm even saved, can I just be like, hey, buddy, friend, cut it out, okay? Stop that. Don't think that way. Jesus didn't die for us to worry about our salvation. He died so that we wouldn't have to worry about our salvation. He died so that we could have security. If you're here and you believe in Jesus and if you've made a commitment to follow him, even if you have doubts or if you've made mistakes along the way, which is every single one of us, you need to know that the mere fact of your belief and commitment to Jesus, no matter where you guys are on that journey or spectrum, if you believe in him and you've given your life to him, you're saved, you're secure. Jesus's grip on you is not so loose that the things that you did this weekend can cause him to lose that grip on you. He's not so fickle that he throws you away because you failed him. The entire story of the Bible is about God constantly using failures who can't measure up. And then he saves the day despite their failures. That's what the Christian life looks like, honestly. It's messy. It's full of doubts and discouragements and disappointments. It's filled with constant failures. But you need to realize those failures are not a mark of you losing your salvation. Your failures are the mark of you gaining even more forgiveness. Every failure you make should push you to rise above it. Every time you fall should motivate you not to pick yourself up because you can't, but it should motivate you to take the hand of Jesus and allow him to pull you up and rise up together. And as a Christian, listen, you're gonna fall a lot. And, but listen, many Christians fall so much that they get used to falling. We're not called to get used to falling. Falling should always shock us. It should always disturb us. Your sin should disturb you. Your, sh- your, your sin should bum you out. We're not called to get used to the falling, but we are called to get used to the rising. Listen, you're not called to get used to the falling. You're called to get used to rising up. I don't know what I said, but apparently I said something that was funny. See, we all fail. You should never be comfortable with your failures, but you should be confident that every time you fail, Jesus wants to pick you back up and take you to a higher place. And we all make mistakes. Like, I made a huge mistake the other day. You guys know my neighbor who's super angry, you know? He kicked us out of our house so that we would had to come here, which is great. You know, I saw him after I was in Ireland for two months. He was in his driveway and he literally like lost his mind when he saw me. He's like, I thought you moved. <laughs> I was like, oh no, Keith, he's like, no. I'm here. I'm back. I'm back, bro. And he's like, oh, but you're moving, right? And I was like, no. And he, he like looks so disappointed. I was like, no, Keith, I'm here. I, I just, I was gone for two months in Ireland. And then he like kind of perked up and he's like, oh, Ireland, like 
sweet, man. Like, I, you know, I'm half Irish. I, I've got family over there. I've never been. It's, I heard it's a beautiful country. So he's being friendly and I'm like, oh yeah. I was like, that's great. Like, you, do you know what county your family's in? Like, that's so cool. Like, I, maybe I went there. And he's like, oh, I can't tell you that. And I was like, oh, like, you, you can't or you don't know or you just won't. Or he, he was like, uh, no, we're not good enough friends yet. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, hey, man. Um, I was like, you know, it's a really, it's, you know, I wanted to tell you, it was actually a blessing because when you kicked us out of our uh, Wednesday night thing, you know, and sorry about that. Sorry we were driving up the hill fast, you know, sorry about all that. We tried, you know. But I was like, it ended up being a good thing, man, because we ended up going to this new house that was even better. And so it was a blessing in disguise and it totally was a good thing. So there's no hard feelings. It's all good. And he's like, yeah, our life has been way better too since you left. And I was like, oh, cool, man. Um, and then I was like, I was, but I'm trying to be nice the whole time, you know? And then he's like, I'm like, um, I'm like, but once in a while, like, you know, once in a blue moon, you know, a couple of times a year, if we do like a Friday night thing and I have a few people over, that's fine too. At that point, he lost it. He got angry. He started shaking. He's just like, no, he's like, you can't do that. I don't trust you. And what I should have said was like, well, why don't you trust me? Like, let's talk about this. My response in the flesh was, you know what, Keith? I don't trust you either. I was like, you pulled your car in the driveway and it turned into this thing. And I just, I lost it. And he was like, you're a punk. You're a kid. I'm an old guy. I've lived here my whole life. Get out of here. And I was just like, and I, I walked away muttering things under my breath I shouldn't have. And it was just, it was, it was a bad situation. And yeah, so just being real, being real. You're laughing. Some of you guys are even clapping your hands because you're a sinner like me. You need to understand, listen, Jesus calls us. Listen, I'm being serious. Jesus calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He calls us to literally be a new kind of human. Like he is calling us to transcend, to ascend, to rise past our fleshly nature that wants to fight everybody in our path and stand up for our rights and tell people they're idiots because they are. He wants us to rise above that and be like him and turn the other cheek. In that moment, I absolutely failed. I should have shown more grace. Even though I was trying really hard, I should have shown more grace and more love for that guy. And I left convicted. And then I told Brooklyn about it. We both were mad. And I was convicted later about just, just, you know, getting in the flesh about it. And so my, my encouragement to you guys as we wrap up is just, I know I've said, I've said we're wrapping up three times now. I'm sorry. I've been in Ireland. I haven't been preaching. This is like pent up preaching that's happening right now. Listen, we're constantly called to rise up to repentance. Repentance is changing your mind and your heart. It's not stopping sin because if you just stop your sin, it's behavior modification. Like if there's a guy in the youth group who's checking out girls and I, I'm like, hey, don't do that. Stop. And he just stops because he's afraid that I'm going to like bust him and like tell his mom or whatever. But then he's, he's still doing it in his head, in his mind. That's wrong. But I remember at camp, I gave a talk about objectification of women and how as Christians we can fight against it. And I remember two guys from the group came up to me and they were like, that, what you said changed my entire perspective about how I see women. And now I see why it is so wrong to treat them that way. That's the difference. That's heart change. That's transformation. And that changes the way that we act. Okay, that's what God's looking for. So I, I, there's, there's more, I'll save it for next week. Listen, God wants us to rise up just like he rose up. He wants us to get up and walk with him, to repent. That means if there's things in your life you struggle in, don't just stop doing them, 
attack the problem of your heart. Go to a counselor and say, I've got this thing in my heart, this pride, this anger, this lust. Help me deal with this. Help me. Let's get in the word. Let's get in the scriptures. I want to rise up and let Jesus change my heart, transform me from the inside out so that I live differently. That's what we need. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much that you love us. God, you want us to rise up. You want us to rise up and become who you've always wanted us to be. And we're constantly moving towards that and then we fall back down to earth and splat because we're sinners. God, thank you that you are so willing to lift us back up. Lord, I just wanna say right now that I'm a sinner and I've messed up and I've made mistakes. I wasn't in the right with that guy, even though I felt like I was. I was in the flesh. God, forgive me for that. I haven't even asked you for forgiveness yet, Jesus. Right now is the first time I've done that. That's sad. God, help us to repent. Help us to, to go to you and ask for you to change our hearts so that our actions follow. God, help us to live a life where we're constantly moving further up and further into a deep relationship with you. Help us to never settle and just think, oh, I'm fine. Or the next camp, I'll get closer to God. Help us every day to chase after closeness with you, intimacy with you. Help us to constantly want to discover something new about you. And God, help us to do it together in a community, not alone. I pray that no one here would feel alone in their following of you. We bless this time as we break up into groups. I pray that you'd be just helping us, Lord, to break this stuff down. We love you, God, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.